0: Welcome to episode number 70 of the Grab Blogger podcast. This is the podcast where we're helping academics change the world through online business. We're helping you, the listener, by giving you the tools, the tips, the strategies, the techniques you need to build an online business around your research experience, around your expertise, around the change you want to make in the world. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Cloney. Today's episode, we're back with Niba from notesbyneba.com. That's N-I-B-A. We're talking all around funding options, funding resources for starting to build out revenue as part of your science communication and your website efforts. So, Neva, I want to say a big thank you for coming back on the Grab Blogger podcast, and we're excited to continue on with your story.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. I am stoked to be back here again. It was really fun the first time.
0: So, we had an awesome interview with Neva last week on the topic of why and how to rebrand your site, website. We talked around some of the difficulties and and even you know some of the things to celebrate around getting started there. We talked about some of the fears and. That come with, you know, wanting to change what you are doing, wanting not to conform, wanting to be your your own person and do things that really are aligned with the the way that you view the world. And we talked about some tips around actually doing that. And in that interview, Neva mentioned a, a couple of interesting things that we're going to be delving in today. That maybe the audience was piqued their interest, but they they want to learn more about. So in this interview, we're going to talk about things that like brand deals, investment, and services deliveries it's part of your psychom uh, communication efforts, um, and funding and fellowships. So, Neva, we sort of in, introduced some of these concepts in the last episode, at least the, the terminology around them. I think a good place to kind of jump into this conversation is maybe just walking through each of them and, and see if we can provide some kind of definitions or descriptions around, you know, what is a brand deal? What might investments in your your website look like? What kind of services might you provide? And, and what does this funding and fellowships kind of piece look like? So maybe just to start, we'll, we'll kind of kick it back and forth because I have some, some experience in this area as well. Uh, with the safety science on the brand side, at least. but where do you see these fitting in if you would kind to give a you know a loose definition description around these different uh, areas?
1: Yeah, totally. and that's a it's a huge broad thing. So excuse me if I forget anything. I would say it's I imagine it's very different different from like the just company world, um largely because I work more in like a sector of a lot of brand deals where uh, doing them is quite common, and a lot of people, done them well and a lot of people have not done them well. For brand deals it's typically uh, a user that has a personal brand and attracts like a certain type of audience that is interested in whatever content they're making and as they have this kind of like specific audience and it grows you get a certain amount of people who are engaging with your posts, you get a certain amount of followers who are just like you know following every single thing that you're saying and then you can either approach a brand, or a brand might approach you, or you might be part of a network that connects you to uh, brand deals and services like that. I find that these networks, kind of at least in in the domain of like science communication and beauty and fashion and cosmetics and skincare and that sort of thing, the networks are really helpful when you have a large number of followers. There are some agencies that do like micro influencers, who are people who have really high engagement uh, metrics. But the I, f- I found the most value really to be like when you have like a ton. So in the beginning, it's helpful just to kind of negotiate it on your own, just do one-on-one deals, um, really making sure that maybe you can talk to people who have done it before, see what kind of numbers they ask for, how they justify like the rate, how they justify what um, number of posts they'll do, or the number of content, how many minutes a video might be, establishing like kind of a baseline of what is the market standard. It's something that's not talked about enough, but there's a lot of calculators and resources available online for you to kind of input your information and your metrics and figure out how much you're really worth. And, you know, ask yourself, how much do I really want this? You know, is it for the money? Is it for being able to say, I've worked with this person? Sometimes saying that you've worked with the person is worth more than, you know, the money. Sometimes it's the opposite. Sometimes you don't want any money and it's not, it's not worth whatever they're giving you. So brand deals are kind of a tricky uh, thing to navigate, but you know, establishing uh, good negotiation practices, I highly recommend, there's like an 80 page book called Getting to Yes, it's absolutely amazing. Talks about how you can look at the, the quantitative things that go into negotiation, how you can really find options that will mutually benefit the two of you. And you realize that so many things are negotiations, not just in brand deals, but, you know, moving on to fellowships, for example, as a method of funding, whatever it is that you're working on and uh, internships, even, you know, as a way of getting resources for yourself that you can then translate into your own brand or um, investors that you can directly ask for funding. These are all just, you know, different resources and thinking about resources not just in terms of money, but also you know mentors who can give you critical feedback, networks with people who can propel you higher, money that can help you know get your materials, or ultimately, what we all care to care about is just getting paid for our work.
0: So I mean that that was a lot. So let's let's peel back some of the layers here. I would start by saying you mentioned that it might be different in the industrial safety space, and I mean maybe some of the tactics are, although I think they're actually more similar than we might even give them credit for. The question, like the the fifty thousand foot view, is does your field have a magazine? If your field has a magazine, there's probably advertisers in that magazine. And the reason that there's advertisers in that magazine is that magazine has an audience and they have some level of engagement with that magazine and that other companies and brands want to get in front of that audience and hopes that they will engage with it. Now there's tons of trades publications and stuff in engineering fields and they all have advertisements. And that's essentially what you're doing with a brand deal is you're, you're agreeing with a brand to do advertising for them. So we've done this at uh, Safety Science in our newsletters. We'll put company footers and logos in our newsletters that we sent. That's actually the first—I think it was the first $750 I made online—was through putting a, a little ad with a company logo at the bottom of my my newsletter email when it was at 250 people. I've talked about that in the podcast before. We've, you know, we put advertising actual reports that we write. So we write these technical reports. We do one page ads, half page ads, all the kind of standard stuff you see. Um, and we have member companies that that pay in an advertising membership. To have their logos on our websites, on our platforms, on the reports that we create. We have a big thank you page to all the members. We have profiles. We have feature pages for them. So there's you know different levels of complexity you can add in. But at the end of the day, it's just advertising. Um, you're advertising for a brand. You do a deal. There's really two avenues for this part. There's avenue number one, which you mentioned, which is like to work with a network or an agency that that collects up all the people that want advertising and all the people that provide advertising and, and match makes. And then there's also a model where you go and do it yourself. So find the brands, find the companies that most resonate with your audience and then create deals specifically with them. And I'm curious to know from your experience do you have do you have some opinions or thoughts on those two approaches and what's come out of those or maybe where's the best place to start if I'm someone who knows hasn't done either of these where should I look to first and and what should I be thinking about
1: Yeah, so there's A lot of like networks that kind of generate like, you know, this is a whole group of influencers or people who are creating content around this one specific topic. And then brands can go to these networks to, you know, get some more message amplification or promote whatever new product. I found that a lot of them uh, still focus a lot on just sheer uh, follower metrics, really just like how, how many people are there. There's a couple that are doing like micro influencers, like people with higher engagements, but like much smaller audiences which I really think is where marketing can be a little more powerful. But for someone who's kind of just starting out and I'm no means an expert, but for someone who's starting out, I feel like it's much better to try and really get leverage the, the mentor resources that we'll talk about a little later and uh, ask them, you know, how to navigate these deals if they get approached or if they're approaching people or companies for that matter and try to do like, you know, a couple of them, because even when you're working with the network, you're still going to have to do the deal. And in the network, you're going to be getting paid or, you know, getting amount of service, whatever, differently from each different person. So even within the network, you're going to have to be doing some level of negotiating there too. So having a little bit of experience with that, especially when you're just starting out, just doing like some one-on-one things, I think is really, really useful. There's, I think like three ways really that brands can work with affiliates. They can do like in-house, just like people who are kind of already on their list of people to work with. This is great if you find a brand that like really aligns with whatever you're working on. and You want to try and be part of their like ambassador program or whatever. Then there's networks like we just Matt mentioned and everything I said there. And then there's also just like agencies that can put you not just like within their network but just everywhere. But those last two I really think are more helpful once you're at like a like a later stage in your uh, communications.
0: Yeah, and I'll I'll kind of add some thoughts here too because I haven't really. I mean, I've done I've done affiliate networks like CJ and you know Amazon and that sort of stuff, but not so much on the brand advertising side. What I've done is a lot of the, you know, so I just email the company, I or I meet them at a conference and say, hey, do you want to be involved in this? I am doing this thing in the world. We have these goals and this vision. Do you want to come along for the ride? And when it's framed that way, if you can make it compelling enough, you, you may be able to get some companies, um, and, and we certainly have, and that's uh, you know a big revenue generator for us. But there is some knock on effects from working with those companies it increases your visibility in the space and you're not just a faceless person on the other side of a, a network or an agency. You're actually, you know, I've, I've companies that now ask me to to sit at the table when they're doing their marketing meetings to figure out what should their online strategy be. And I can show them how we fit in with that um, in those meetings, get invited to speak at these companies when they're hosting events, get invited to do training. And they're all part of our dust safety Academy platform where we do our training and education now. So and it's scary. It's really scary. We talked about fear a lot in the last episode. It's really scary to email a company and say, hey, are you interested in having your logo featured on my website or in my newsletter? But it might change your life. And it's really just an email. The only thing they're going to say, the only thing they can say that's negative is no, or they might not email you back. But they, they might be interested and you're going to get a lot more money from them that way than you would through an agency. And you may, if you're lucky, also get some really great relationships as well. So. I mean, there's some couple things to think of and chew on there. I'm not sure we're going to be able to, you know, do the whole comprehensive masterclass on this in this episode. But I hope that gives a couple of ideas on this brand deal side. Is there anything else you want to add from from the thoughts that I put in on this?
1: Yeah, sure. I would say there's also a, a lot that goes on behind the scenes that if you're starting out, you should immediately learn about. You know, like what is normal for this company to offer people what is the amount that you should be getting per your engagement metrics do you want to get a percentage of money from whatever you're do, you're advertising or do you just want to get like a flat amount and also it's it's very critical to know your if you're follow, to let your followers know if you're getting paid to promote a product there's a lot of like laws and stuff that go around that and ultimately it's about you know who are you talking to who are your who's your audience really and you know don't don't promote stuff that you don't care about. Don't promote stuff just because they're giving you some amount of money because people will find out eventually, you know, and like you don't want to deal with the fire that that PR nightmare is.
0: Yeah. I'd be upfront. um, be honest. And I also like to be neutral. So we don't do deals where we can't interact with competitors uh, with their competitors, you don't deal with deals because it it places us that way in the central of a, a neutral party on, in a bigger movement. Where if we were doing these independent deals, we'd probably make more money. Um, you know, you could maybe charge based on the contracts they sign, based on your promotions or something like that. But it wouldn't be as as good in terms of the the effect that we can have in the world of industrial safety being seen as these neutral parties. Let's really try and help anyone anywhere get the best solution for them and work with the company that's the best company for them. And that's some background on brand deals. And I think we'll probably come back to that. But you mentioned, I lost the word now, but I, I want to say it's not quite brand deals, but it's, it's sort of more like investment or mentorship. And we were talking about before the call about the STEM Advocacy Institute. Can you kind of talk about how that might, those sort of approaches might fit in with funding options for your SciComm website or even your online business?
1: Yeah, absolutely. When I think of funding, really, I think about it in terms of resources, right? Like, so mentors and investors are really really helpful especially in the early stages because it's a way of getting critical feedback about your work and having someone help kind of walk through like the different concepts that you have some assumptions you might have made or even just like you know what are the ways that you want to measure this so mentors i think are just absolutely critical and the importance of them cannot be understated the stem advocacy institute is really awesome they take fellowship applications on a rolling basis at least I did when I applied a few months ago. And uh, I was chosen as part of their C3 cohort. And that comes with a certain amount of monetary gain. But more importantly, for me, at least, it came with an absolutely amazing mentor, who was able to give me really critical feedback about every single piece of work that I was doing, the editorial calendars that I was building. And getting this feedback is really helpful because you know when you set something off into the world the initial people who are going to see it are people within your own network you know your friends your family your people and your that are all you're already connected to and it's it's a rare friend that's that's a true friend and will be able to really give you like critical feedback you know like how many of these people work in the space that you're trying to improve yourself on how many of these people will really be able to mentor you How many people will be able to say this is something that is not working? How many people will be able to say this is something that is working really well and you can believe it? That, I think, is just absolutely essential for the earlier stage. And STEM Advocacy Institute, I cannot, like, really emphasize how amazing they are and how much they've really helped me and how much they've helped me navigate, like, not just, like, growth of my own work, but also in terms of understanding where I fit into the larger model of communications and science communications and journalism.
0: Yeah, I love that. And we'll pull the a link for the STEM advocacy group and put that show notes at uh, grabblogger.com slash 70 for anyone that wants to sort of check out those programs. I think it's important. So funding or, you know, it's it's not just necessarily monetary funding. It could be mentorship. It also could be tech support. It could be. And then, you know, if we go on the brand deal side, there's things like products and, you know, getting services and products and, and things that are also included in the deals. But there's more than just you know, cash incentives. Although I, I would say that building a solid business on a profitable foundation is is one great way to to increase your science communication efforts, and that's something we've been doing pretty steadily for the last four years at Dust Safety Science. But I do I want to share this episode because there's other ways to go about it, especially as science communication becomes I want to say more mainstream. But I don't know Neba might might have some opinions on on what that means. Does that does that mean anything? I I may be saying it not in quite the right way. I'm not a I didn't come from a science communication background. So <laughs>
1: <laughs> No, you're good. I mean, you're definitely right. It's definitely grown. I don't know if I'd call it like mainstream, but you know, certainly with people realizing how important science is and how important it is that people get the facts right, it's definitely become a more common term, a more thing that's like, you know, actively there's a lot of jobs being popped up here. There's a lot of investment into this area. I would definitely say it's it's growing for sure.
0: The reason I know it's becoming something mainstream is probably not it but the reason I know is that sometimes I go to events and and I explain to people what I do and if they have a psychom degree they start explaining to me how I'm doing it wrong <laughs> <laughs> and I'm a bit like and it leaves me a little jaded sometimes cuz cuz I'll open up my email so I have an, I have an email here from a fellow in the southern states who's asking some technical questions via email on a combustible dust, um, whether or not it's a fire explosion hazard, we explained to him the the issues around potentially building up of hydrogen if that dust gets wetted inside of uh, certain processing equipment. So, explained to him the science. Explained to him, he went back to his client. So, you know, not listening to that, they they end up making some mistakes that that blew up their piece of processing equipment. So, to me, that means that I had a level of engagement with the consultant, and I was able to teach them at a level through what I call science communication. Although this individual at the conference standing in front of me doesn't call what I do science communication. <laughs> and I just didn't quite get to the right audience to to save that piece of equipment. And, you know, nobody was injured, thankfully, in in that incident. But I mean, this is the real world of what what I'm doing in industrial safety with my science communication. Everyone's science communication looks different. I'm trying to stop things from blowing up and and employees getting injured. So I get a little chafed when when somebody tells me that because I don't have a degree in science communication, I'm not doing it right or something.
1: Yeah. It's, it's just, I don't know. It's BS. There's a lot of people trying to like gatekeep really like what is and isn't communication. There's a huge, like, Oh, well this is journalism. This isn't communication or like, Oh, you're doing communication on like TikTok. That's not real communication. And like, I have a lot of thoughts on like TikTok being an app, but like you can't deny that it is communicating. It is doing something through communication. The reason it's like, it's a very vague term really. And there's been a lot of efforts to try and standardize practices around standard communication to try and like attach labels to things. But you, I don't think it's anyone's place really to to gatekeep things that are or aren't science communication if what you're doing is communicating about science, right? Like that's that's literally it. And that's such a broad term. So like anything that falls under there can be SICOM.
0: Well, and I go back to a very simple definition of, and and it kind of plays into what the whole point of this podcast episode is making change in the world what results have you got today what change did you actually make and if you're you're doing your science communication the correct scientific way and into you know a nice big void and no one's listening and no one's doing anything different at the end of the day well, that's great <laughs> but you know at the end of the day if, if you want to actually make change in the world then you know we might need to look at it differently and there is no proper way, but that's the metric I use at the end of the day. Are we affecting change through being academics, through building online businesses, and through communicating the the things that we know better to the, the people that need to know them? This is a little bit of a, a side tangent, but sometimes I get riled up when I when I talk about real SciComm versus fake SciComm, And I don't have a background on this. I agree. I'm just a lowly engineer that's trying to change the world through science. <laughs> I don't I don't necessarily have a Scicom degree, but uh we're we're communicating a whole lot online. So, um, you know, it's part of it. So we talked about brand deals. We talked about investing and, you know, mentorship, these sort of uh, different groups that you might be able to go to. Are there any other sort of these advocacy groups that, that the listener maybe should be checking out if you just have a couple off top of your head, that might be good or. Sure.
1: I would say in terms of advocacy, really like, uh, Simon's foundation, they have some really awesome stories there. STEM Advocacy Institute, again, Story Collider is pretty cool. There's, it's, it's hard to like really put a finger on it because there's, there's quite a lot out there. And I think it helps just kind of narrowing it down by what you're interested in, both your medium and also like what your target audience is. So there's ones that are like on podcasts, you know, for example, there's a podcast that recently started uh, just specifically as for resources for science communicators. And if you're interested in doing podcasts, you know, that's an excellent place to start.
0: Yeah, I love it. So you mentioned this kind of funding and fellowships. That's one sort of side of it, these sort of groups. Are there is there more like traditional um, thing like scholarship funding or you know what we consider more How does that look for the the landscape or science communication?
1: Well, I would say there's uh, things that are within like the local level, like more like your university or within like a network that your university might belong to, but there's also like some competitive applications like for fellowships like AAAS uh, Mass Media Fellowship is really popular. There's summer internships. NASA has like a whole series of internships for video, print, web, like even Snapchat. And then there's also things that you can pay for, you know, like communication certificate, graduate programs, conferences, like the AAAS conference. There's a whole range of them. And I think figuring out like what your level you're at so that you can accurately apply for everything. Cause if you start applying for absolutely everything, you will just start drowning in applications. There's a link we can add to the um, bottom here, but in my website, there's a tab for resources and in resources, there's a whole section for people who are interested in applying to like different scholarships, fellowships, internships, and you can browse through any of those and see which ones meet your needs.
0: Yeah. We'll include a link to the notesbyneva.com resource pages there. Page there for anyone that's interested in um, looking at that list because I can think that'd be pretty valuable for somebody to go through. So we talked about three options, and we're sort of doing this in a bit of a funny order. But we talked about brand deals, we talked about A B C groups and mentorship, and sort of uh, investing in your development groups. Talked about more of the traditional fellowship and grant applications. Is there is there room here for things like um, I'm thinking even providing services to professors for writing as part of their grants to fulfill SciComm requirements or how does how does that landscape kind of play out in this
1: Yeah so most grants have a certain component that is for outreach or you know broader impacts type section and there's usually like a like people they'll be asked to do like workshops create a video create some form of communicating whatever their science is to a larger audience I think this is a really great way to kind of maybe broaden whatever science communication a person is is doing by potentially talking to professors who are doing this part of an application and seeing if you can provide this service to them, you know, editing together a video or creating like some sort of campaign for them. Most grants nowadays have some component of this. So, uh, but making sure that like, you know, that component is there, how they're going to do it. Um, Some grants will expect it to be done exactly in the way that it's been outlined in the grant and other ones will be a little more flexible with the way that it can be communicated afterwards
0: yeah that makes sense and I think this is a good one for anyone that's looking to start to build out their own you know business that's providing services in this space and maybe moving away well I'd say this combined with the brand deals are more on you know providing a, a service to individuals whether that be people that want advertising or professors um, or someone else who wants you know help with their their science or technical writing moving more into the realm of I don't want to say entrepreneurship, but more moving more into that realm of providing services and providing value and getting paid for it than maybe the sort of, you know, internships and grants and that sort of stuff. They're on a spectrum, I guess, at the end of the day. But if somebody was looking to start a technical science writing business, then professors are probably a great place to start um, in terms of writing and connecting out with, have you done the sort of, you're not necessarily in the writing side of it, but have you done work with professors on their science communication activities, or no one, anyone in the space that has?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um a lot of professors are starting to move into the realm of like using Twitter or using like websites and that sort of thing. A couple of them have had me help with their websites, and a couple of them have had me help with editing editing together like the multimedia at the end. i would I wish almost that I had reached out more in the beginning. But it's hard to kind of identify like, you know, some people, some professors seek science communication as a necessary integral part of their research. And others think it's just a side thing that they have to do. So if you are going to, you know, approach some professors figuring out which uh, side of the spectrum they lie on, what, or maybe, you know, on another spectrum entirely, that would be really helpful when you're trying to like, you know, pitch them like, you know, it, can I do this for you? Can I be written into this grant, et cetera? I wish I had almost like kind of talked to more of them about their views on psychom in the beginning, because that would have been like really helpful in just kind of getting a lay of the land and figuring stuff out. I will admit it is a, a little like just nerve wracking, you know, walking up to a professor and scheduling a time to do this because they're so busy all the time. And who knows if, you know, what you have is something they want. But on some level, it's just about kind of getting over that fear a little bit, you know, starting small, starting with professors who have a track record of being interested in communication and then moving on from there.
0: If you want to kind of get an idea of what sort of jobs there is out there for this and I'm uh, not necessarily saying you should use, you know, put yourself on Upwork, although I know lots of people have done it successfully and started their science communication career there. Um, so I think it's actually a great idea. We've hired a ton of people off Upwork, but if you just go on there and sign up and search for your field, search for science writing and see who's posting jobs um chances are there's professors looking for writers on there and and Upwork gets a bit of a bad rap because it's a global community so you have service providers from everywhere around the world I'm at every sort of different price point um it's up to the the person that's doing the hiring to to choose which price point they want to dive into and having been on that side of it the hiring side more than the the france, freelancing side on there it's it does take some experience to be able to find the you know the right talent that you want to work with but just to get the lay of land on what's possible, you may search your field and search for science writing and realize that there's just this whole plethora of people out there doing work like this and that want work done like this. And that might just be enough for you to say, "Oh, wow, this is a thing." Maybe I maybe I don't feel so you know nervous about emailing five professors about it. So at the end of the day, the worst thing they can say is ignore your email or say no. Um, you're Probably, we talked about this last time. You're probably thinking in your head, oh, they're going to think I'm dumb and this sort of stuff, but chances are none of them are actually going to call you dumb. (laughs) But it's a good, you know, it it opened up my eyes a lot when I started looking on Upwork just for what kind of work there is for freelancers. Um, I realized that there's a market out there, which means there's people out there that pay for this sort of stuff, which means that you could do it too. Anything bubble up to the surface for you in that discussion? Besides, I don't know if you're you're anti Upwork, um, and that's fine if you are. But uh, anything else besides the, that?
1: Yeah, there's some talk about a specific like science communication related Upwork type thing. I don't really know my feelings on Upwork because it's it's hard. You have to put in like so much effort to like create your profile and like show samples of your work and no matter what you're going to do, there's always someone who's willing to do it for cheaper because they like are somewhere else or they just, you know, can have the resources to do that. So with Upwork, I would say like, you know, if you can find people on it that you really, really want to work with, it's worth it. But, you know, I would suggest talking to those people in person, maybe if you've got like, you know, people in mind that you're willing to work for or people that you specifically want to work for or people that, kind of fit the vision of the skills that you can provide creating a profile is always you know helpful Uh, it's free to do so there's a limited amount of requests and stuff like that that you can set up so i wouldn't discourage anyone from doing it but just know that it is a platform that may not give you like you know the absolute best returns although it is very like standardized in the sense that everything is transparent you know like you know how much you're going to be making you know what your profile looks like, you know, what the person who's giving you the profile looks like. So in that sense, the negotiations are a lot more kind of like laid out.
0: Well, in a, in a pro tip for using it as a research tool, just sign up as a hirer. It's free. Um, you don't need to create a profile and you can do all the searching you want because they want the hires to be able to find things that they want and then go, oh yeah, I need to sign up for this. So let's attach my credit card and all that sort of stuff. But you can do all the research side as, a, as someone who's hiring for jobs and still get the same access to see what kind of jobs are available, what kind of people are offering services. The people that really get hung out on Upwork are those that, that haven't, I'll say, drank the juice yet of, of of what I'm about to say, but you don't want to work with everyone in the world. So if there's someone that wants to pay $8 an hour to get their science writing done, you you should be very thankful that they did not want to pay you 40 or 50 or $80 an hour because you probably didn't want to work with them anyway. <laughs> so like letting letting that, you know, that part fall off and finding the people that are in the right range for you is the right way to th- think about it. And and I guarantee you I know people that are charging anywhere between ten dollars an hour to, to two hundred dollars an hour for writing on upwork and all of them are getting getting clients and the range is they're just getting different kinds. They're getting different kind of clients. Um and don't charge in one level and then be upset about the the smaller. Like you don't even want to take those clients anyway. Don't lower your rates. It's about, you know, finding the, the client that's best for you. And yeah, so I do see people get hung up on that. But I'm just talking about it as a research tool anyway. You can go in and see that people are actually paying and they're not just paying low rates. People are paying <laughs> high rates. I know because I've I've been that people. We hired 10 science writers at one point to populate our safety science from prices that ranged multiples of six or seven of each other. Um, so quite a, quite a big range and kind of found our sweet spot there. So yeah, Upwork's a good source. I like it. Other people frown upon it. There's lots of kind of different thoughts on that and there's no one right way to do it either. So yeah, I encourage people to to kind of do a little research there if they're interested. So Neva, we, so we covered a couple of different funding options here. We covered brand deals. We covered funding and mentorship and sort of uh, investments in your growth. We covered fellowships and grant opportunities um, we cover providing services. We even went in upwork a little bit, which we didn't really have planned. I guess the great place to kind of lead off, and this has been a this probably should have been a couple episodes, but this has been a big overview, and maybe in future ones we'll dive into more specifically in, in particular applications. But someone's looking at this going, Okay, I'm I'm ready. Uh, you know, I, I wanna do some of this stuff. Should they what should they be thinking about in terms of I don't say getting a portfolio together, but in terms of any tips that you have or recommendations or someone just getting started, how they should they be setting up their uh, portfolio is the only word I can think about, but you know, their website, what they do, the articles they write. So some things they should be thinking about in their head to get started on this field of of even getting into these different funding options?
1: Yeah, totally. say at the very, very beginning, just getting into like free things just to start off. Like uh listservs are an excellent way just to like kind of join the community for free and get a sense of like, oh. In these listservs, they'll generally advertise when um, funding is open or if there's a new call for proposals for something. So that's just a good way of like getting your like news really about all of this stuff. I'd say another thing is places like that kind of amalgamate these resources, um, like the Aldo Science Communication AAAS Communication Toolkit. They've put everything together. And then on top of that, really making sure that you have your application stuff together. It would be, every application is going to be different, but for every single application, you want to kind of work them through the logic model of what it is that you're doing. Starting out with what is the problem? What is the service that you're providing? What is this gap that exists? And then go into the mission of like, you know, this is exactly what I'm doing. This is a very clear statement about what I'm doing so in terms of like research, that would be like the question you're trying to answer and you know the way you're doing it. After that, if you've got any work you've done so far, putting that in there, if you have like a content calendar, an editorial calendar, some insight reports, those would be really great. One thing I found really helpful when applying for these things is thinking about it in terms of like, what do you need to run this program? You know, like if you had infinity resources, what is it you really need? What is at the core? And then if you have it, what can you do? What are the specific things you'll do? And if you can do those things, how are you going to show success? Is it going to be through the number of like you know people who are coming, the way that they understand the information? How would you measure that? And once you've done all that, these are the benefits, and this is the mission that you finally have. So overall, most applications will have some version of like you know talk about your project, talk about yourself, talk about um, the timeline. Really, so having like a vague. Outline or even just like a dump with each of uh, the information for each of these points is pretty helpful as you start applying to many things.
0: Oh, I love it, and I think uh, anyone that's interested in this would be well served by checking out your website at notes at and and going to that resources page and just clicking through. Um, I'm looking at it now; it's got you know all kinds of great information on fellowships, finding a job in sci, sci science communication internships. It's got a lot of great resources there, so I think. You know just closing out this interview, I'm I'm really curious. We've we've sort of shared you know a good deal of your journey now over the last couple of episodes on the podcast. What's coming down the tracks for you, and what's coming up next for you and your your online business or your your science communication efforts?
1: Well, I guess next I'm really taking my own advice here. Um, I'm going to be starting a internship at Stanford shortly, going to be doing um, some YouTube work for them and creating some cool content for them. I'm pretty stoked about it because it's going to be a chance to get an inside look of what a higher education like at that level does really. I've worked with some higher ed, but I've never done it like full time making this amount of stuff really. I'm considering increasing my video content from once every other week to once a week, but that'll have to wait until after I'm done moving to San Francisco. The future also holds a couple, I think like more internships, really. I I really love building my own brand and doing stuff there, but I really want the chance to kind of learn more about how other people are doing their own stuff from a variety of places, not just within higher ed and nonprofits and sectors that I've already worked before, but outside of that. The ultimate dream really would be to be able to do that like full-time, but for now, I think getting kind of the experience and looking at how other people have approached SciComm from people who've done it for a long time, it would be really, really valuable. But not to say that I'm going to stop content at any time, because I'm still going to be making content and still going to be doing my own videos and photos and potentially migrating into some audio work, but we'll see what goes there.
0: Well, I hope you do, because I, I see a pretty bright future in you in the space, you know, as, as an, as an independent, as a, uh, somebody who's willing to put themselves out there, but also in the the realm of, you know, facilitating change within how universities and departments and those folks also, you know, address these issues with how the world's changing in terms of how we communicate as scientists, as experts, and I know with the the skill set you have and the. I'm going to say dogged determination but maybe maybe that's maybe that's too much but just for our conversations offline I know that you're you're a pretty driven person so I appreciate you taking the time of your day to to record this interview um if someone's listening to this and they want to know more about your work uh, where's kind of the best place for them to to find you at online
1: uh, I'm pretty much on almost every social media site as notes by neba I'm on YouTube Instagram Twitter I'm going to be releasing a YouTube video about my thoughts on TikTok soon, but I'm not currently on TikTok. The best way to contact me is either my website or probably directly through a direct message feature, like on Instagram or Twitter.
0: Yeah, I love it. And if you um, enjoy this episode, you can tag myself at GrabBlogger or tag at Notes by Neva on TikTok. No, I'm kidding on on Twitter or Instagram. I'm also not on TikTok, so maybe uh, maybe someday I'll I'll figure that out. But um, and tell us what your thoughts are on this episode. Tell us what you like about it, and what ways are you finding funding, and what ways do you generate revenue for your your online business or your communication efforts? So I want to say thanks again, neva. um I'm really forward to a chance to get to talk again in the future and to see your your business and your work and your communication and your videos and your audio. Um, I encourage you to get on that track to uh, develop as we move forward.
1: yeah, thanks for having me. I absolutely look forward to being able to continue having being in conversation with you about you know different forms of science communication, whether that's you know through your method or whatever other methods, they're all science communication.
0: I agree. Hold hold that early and I appreciate it. We'll talk soon. So you've been listening to myself, Dr. Chris Coloney and Neba from Notes by Niba. That's N-I-B-A dot com. We talk about different funding options for science communication. Uh, We sort of covered a wide gambit here. We went pretty wide and we didn't get to go really deep into any of them. But the whole goal, I was talking about with Neba about this before and it was really you know, what is sort of the lay of the land on some of these options? So we talked about things like brand deals, working with agencies or networks as one side of the coin. And then just, you know, emailing a company and saying, hey, would you be interested in having your logo on my website? Or would you be able to interest in, in you know, I really love your product. Could I show it to my audience? There lots of ways to go about this. We talked about investments, talked about mentorship. We talked about different um, resources there. We talked about funding and fellowships and grants. We talked a bit about service delivery in terms of actually selling a, a science communication as a service to professors or other, other options that are there is really the, the wide gambit. So I appreciate uh, Neva coming on, sharing your time as always the transcripts for this episode, along with all the links that we mentioned, we'll try to pull those out and put those in the show notes, uh, which will be at grabblogger.com slash 70 and go download that there. gives you a nice PDF and, and you can uh, control F and, and find anything we we're talking about in this episode. So until next week, I hope you have a, a great week ahead. I appreciate everything that everyone's doing terms of science communication and the terms of the change they want to do in the world and the way that they're out there you know making change with with their expertise so we'll be talking soon and we'll look forward to continue the podcast next week